Darren's going to be teaching in a couple weeks about uh, uh, music in the church, congregational singing and worship, and uh, I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to that's going to be good, uh, and you're going to hear from. Uh, a whole slate of others uh, that'll be coming in on. Basically, it's we were given free reign to teach what is of great interest to you. What do you really feel passionate about in terms of spiritual things or scripture? What what's something that uh, that if you could teach on anything, we're gonna we're gonna give you free reign. Go for it. In uh, in July, Nate Carr is gonna be teaching on the worthy walk from Ephesians uh, as another example. And so we're, we've been given free reign and to do whatever we want. I chose uh, Perseverance of the Saints, with a, and I'm going to give you a lot of history because I, I really like history. I'm a math teacher, but I think if I could go back in time and I could learn how to read, I probably would have been a history teacher. <laughs> Because I'm not a, I will admit, I am not a good reader. I know how to read. So I, when, when I say I'm not a good reader, I think I am a good reader. But I'm not the kind of guy that just has his nose in a book all the time. You know, I, I, I feel bad about that. And it's something that is something that I've been trying to overcome my entire life. And, I, I, uh, and, and that's why I became a math person, is because you didn't have to read a lot. <laughs> you could just you could just add up the numbers and and so on and so forth, and uh, but uh, but I've grown to love history, and of course you had to read, and so that's kind of helped me out of that situation uh, to read. So so that's kind of where we're going. Uh, you're going to hear from a, a lot of different people over the next trimester from now up uh, up through the end of August. So th- uh, so that's where we're headed, and. Um, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and thank you for um, sit, sitting in these uh, in, in this section. Appreciate that. We're we're getting well trained. Let me open with a word of prayer and, and we'll get going. Father, we thank you for this uh, time together that we uh, we 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 have to to share in fellowship, to share in your word, and share as a body. And uh, we just pray that you'll help us as we. As we work through uh, the the scriptures today and uh, and the lesson, we pray these things in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, so as I said, for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be teaching on perseverance of the saints, and uh, even though today is going to be heavy on uh, a few other a few other things, and not just uh, not just perseverance, today I'm mainly going to lay some groundwork give a historical perspective on the doctrines of grace in general, uh, one of which is perseverance of the saints. Uh, And in this introduction, I want to spend a a few minutes relating this topic to our sister Jane, uh, who uh, often was was sitting right there where the flowers are, and up until a month ago was uh, uh, an important part of this Sunday school class until she started helping out in the first and second graders. Uh, um, in, in that class for the past month, and so I want to I want to uh, relate this topic to her, remembering her life, remember how her life bears witness to this doctrine of perseverance. Uh, but before we uh, get into that, I want to make sure we have some common ground, and I, I want to talk about some definitions. And so here's where we see if the 
<laughs> Can we get the first slide? There we go. So I don't know if my pointer is going to work or if they're going to... It might. So we'll see. So first we want to define, uh, make sure we all have some common ground, and define what we mean by perseverance of the saints in the first place. I'm going to look at several definitions. And this first definition is from, from Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, which many of you are very familiar with, that, uh, his, his Systematic Theology. And he wrote this, that all, that all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives. And that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. Um, a, a really a scripture that I'm going to be coming back to several times. I'll, I'll refer to this scripture again later in this lesson and, and, and next week as well. Uh, uh, is First Peter one verses three through five. First Peter one verses three through five, and and this is what Peter wrote: "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us." to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith. Through God's power, we are being guarded, kept through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We are preserved. We persevere in our faith that comes from God. A second definition. Let's see how we do here. Okay. Second second definition from Spurgeon. And Spurgeon put it this way. "If, If our religion be of our own getting or making... It will perish. Left up to me, forget it. (laughs) And the sooner it goes, the better. But if our religion is a matter of God's giving, we know that he shall never take back what he gives, and that if he has commenced to work in us by his grace, he will never leave it unfinished. Perseverance, preservation. And then finally, one more uh, definition from... Uh, somebody who's actually alive, D.A. Carson. And uh, Carson wrote this, for non-reformed theologies, and uh, to to give you another perspective and something that I will talk about in a few minutes, um, when he says non-reformed, another way to put that, and I'll explain this in more detail later, would be from an Arminian perspective. Now, some of you know what I mean when I say Arminian. And if you don't, I'm going to explain that in a few minutes. But, and I'm saying Arminian, not Armenian. Two different, there's an Armenian people, but we're not talking about those people. We're talking about followers of a guy named uh, uh, Jacob Arminius, and I'll talk about him. So he says non-reformed, he's really talking about Arminians, basically. And so Carson wrote, At the end of the day, the security of the believer finally rests with the believer. For those in the opposite camp, reformed, 
and that's where we would place ourselves at this church, the security of the believer finally rests with God. Our security is in God, not ourselves. And that I suggest, rightly taught, draws the believer back to God himself to trust in God, to a renewed faith that is, a, that is of a peace with trusting in him in the first place. So our faith is renewed and our faith is strengthened because we know that the work is in God, not ourselves. Now, before we get into the nitty-gritty of the doctrine, and the nitty-gritty, most of it's going to come next week, as I said, uh, I want to jump way ahead to what I would normally present after all of the foundation and all of the groundwork, all the supporting arguments have been made, the last thing that you would usually come to in a lesson like that would be application. How do I apply this? How do you apply perseverance? Of what use is this in my life right now when I walk out of this door or when I talk to somebody? Who cares? Why? So what? And so I want to I jump to a one particular application, jump out of order, so to speak. And there's one application that I want to look at, and that is that perseverance can be a comfort or a consolation, which we are definitely in need of today to be comforted and consoled. Uh, we all, uh, <laughs> losing Jane so unexpectedly has been very hard. Uh, we're in a state of shock. Our emotions are very fragile. And um, we need comfort and we need encouragement. Just like Paul gave the Thessalonians in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, uh, Paul uh, wrote regarding those who had died before Christ's return. They were all expecting Christ to return at any time and they were the Thessalonians were worried about those saints who had already passed away are they going to see are they going to see heaven have they missed out and and they were they were grieved by they were grieved by that that that's that that was a possibility and so Paul taught them that no things are okay he comforted them he informed them and this is what he wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope that you may not grieve you may not grieve as as others do who have no hope now he's not saying you can't grieve grieve he's not saying you can't grieve but when you do grieve, you're not going to grieve as those who have no hope. Will there be sorrow? Certainly. Will there be grief? Yes. But you have the hope of heaven. You know where your sister in Christ is. And you know that if you're in Christ, you will. This is just a temporary separation. that You will see her again. We will see Jane again if we believe, if we're a true believer in Christ. And so Paul writes this, for since we believe that Jesus Christ died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we declare to you by, by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left 
until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of, a trump, of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. They were expecting Christ to come back at any moment. And Paul is saying, if he should come back right now, your sisters and brothers in the Lord will be raised first, even before you. And then you will be caught up with them in the air to be with the Lord forever. What an encouragement. And that's the hope that we have. And it's a great encouragement. I taught on this scripture a number of years ago when um, Kathy Mortensen was, was with us still. And, she, and I remember um, afterwards that she, um, you know, she, it's not like it's the first time she'd ever heard that scripture. But uh, she, she, she had tears in her eyes. And I, I don't know if she knew, but uh, you know, it, was only, it wasn't too much longer. And she was with the Lord uh, after that time. Uh, another dear saint that we can be encouraged by her her faithfulness to the faith, and uh, many of us remember her with little kids gathering around her <laughs> before church and after church and uh, having a little treat for them. It was the Puritan Thomas Watson who wrote an excellent treatise on the preservation of the saints and uh, in a, in a book called A Body of Divinity. Is the name of the book. And in this book, he had uh, various applications, and some of, some of those I'll get to next week, but one in particular, and when he, his application he called uses. What is this used for, this doctrine, uh, to use his terminology? And one of the uses, one of the applications, was comfort and consolation. Okay, if we get to the next slide. Yep, you got there. So first, we have comfort in knowing that our, our perseverance is from God. Our perseverance is from God and not of ourselves. We, pers- we persevere in the faith until the end, not, any, not because of any strength that comes from ourselves, but from God. And so we can let go of the fear of wondering, can I make it to the end of my life <laughs> in terms of my faith? Am I going to to waver to the point that I'm just going to completely blow it and become a reprobate? Will sin and temptation finally outweigh God's grace? Completely falling away? And Watson put it this way, uh, these weak legs of mine will never carry me to heaven. It's got to be from God because if if it's left up to me, I'll never make it. I will not make it to the end. Perseverance is the inseparable fruit of sanctification. And and if you're a saint, you will continue in your sanctification. And perseverance is a fruit of that sanctification. Once in Christ, forever in Christ. Now, I'm going to say at the same time, uh, there's a danger in that. 
There's a danger in that saying. What's another way to say once in Christ, forever in Christ? What's another catchphrase that you've heard with respect to perseverance of the saints? Once saved, always saved. What's the danger in that? Well, I made the walk. I've got my fire insurance. Uh, I think was it Bob? Did you? Okay, I can do. Yeah, I can. I can. I can sin. And so then we think about uh, Romans eight. <laughs> do we just continue in sin then and let grace abound? <laughs> so is that is that is that what we're saying then? And we become antinomian, where no law applies to me. I'm 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 completely okay, and that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, kind of an easy believism. You know, walk the aisle, sign this card, you're good to go. Right. Which of course is not true. And and but uh and, and so we 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 read something like that that once in Christ forever in Christ, it's true, but it's also abused. It's also especially for those who who do not have saving faith, who superficially made some sort of a, you know walk the aisle because they they had this tinge of guilt in Hebrews 6 which we'll talk about next week who tasted the fruit and yet uh, did not become part of the tree <laughs> were not grafted in and so um and so there's a danger in that we'll talk about more of that we'll, we'll, we'll we will discuss more of those dangers uh, next week but um but yes, we still sin. Perseverance doesn't give us a license to sin, but, but we have many t- there are many times in which uh, we sin, causing uh, grace to abound, as Paul would, uh, as Paul would say. Uh, but the Lord, not us, the Lord, not us, is keeping our grace intact. Augustine uh, wrote this. Augustine wrote, Grace may be shaken with fears and doubts, but it cannot be plucked up by its roots. Which reminds me of when I was weeding the yard the other day. I thought I, would, I, thought I had got that weed. thought I'd got it. And then about four days later, it was like, why is that there? There was still a root left in the ground. There was still a root. And grace... Is always we're, those of us who are Christians, we are rooted in grace. We might we might get cut off at the knees sometime because of sin, but the Lord preserves us, and we persevere, and we won't be plucked up by the roots. Sin will humble us as it should, but it won't damn us. Uh, Thomas Watson wrote this: Temptation is the devil's way of blowing up the fort of a saint's grace, but he can't do it. The more Satan tempts, the more the saints pray. And again, we think of that uh, scripture from First Peter, First Peter 3, First Peter 1, 3 through 5, that we are guarded through our faith for a salvation. 
until that last time. Second, a second comfort, perseverance is a comfort in the loss of worldly comforts and death. Many of us, uh, we're sitting here today alive, but we've experienced loss in other ways. We're all experience, right, experiencing the loss of Jane right now. And some of us have experienced other losses, material losses, for example, as well as losses of loved ones. When material goods are taken away from us, as we persevere, even though we might lose all those material things, grace can never be taken away. In the time of death, when our body is finished, grace still remains. And death may separate us from earthly things and may separate us from earth completely, but not grace. A German reformer several hundred years ago, as he lay dying, wrote, Sight is gone, speech is gone, hearing departed, but the loving kindness of God will never depart. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul wrote, But he, meaning the Lord, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul continued, Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ, the power of Christ, not his own power, but the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And in Romans 8, verses 35 to 39, which is a very comforting verse to so many of us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who saved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor the height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jane persevered to the end of her earthly days, and she continues to enjoy God's grace right now and loving kindness in heaven. In her humbleness, uh, she would never equate her life with the scripture I'm about to read. But she can't argue with me right now. <laughs> and those of, those of us who knew Jane well and, and, and most of us in this room did know her pretty well, we would agree that we can relate her life to these words of Paul in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8. And I think that we would all want to uh, be able to say this have people say the same thing about us when we leave this earth. And Paul wrote close to the end of his life as he was awaiting execution in Rome. He wrote, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And Jane was certainly looking forward to his appearing. And he's appeared to her now in the flesh. As I kind of think, thought about those who I was close to who have gone on before me, one of the common threads that I saw through all those is that they were heaven-minded. They were heaven-minded. They thought about heaven in their life. The, the last thing, the last words out of a pen from my dad's hand was about being in heaven. He wrote a birthday card to my aunt, his sister, that said, oh, what a day that will be. And a few hours later, that day came that he was with the Lord. To be heaven-minded is, that's, that's one of our assurances. <laughs> that's one of our assurances that we are in the faith, that we are persevering because we have that hope, just as Paul talked to the, taught to the Thessalonians, that they would have that hope of heaven, whether they've already fallen asleep or whether they'll be caught up in the air, as we might be, who knows? Maybe before this lesson is done, we might be caught up in the air. We don't know. And we don't know if we'll drive home and find ourselves with the Lord because of, some, because of an accident. We just don't know. And so we have a good example in Jane, uh, a good application of perseverance, of persevering to the end, of, of working out our salvation through God-given means, not work of our own, to the end of our life, in spite of evil, in spite of what the devil throws at us to derail our course. If we are in Christ, our path is preserved, our destiny is secure, and again, just uh, remembering the saints that have gone on before us, like uh, I mentioned my dad, Kathy Mortensen. I remember Harold Mills. And, uh, uh, you know, Harold, when he, when he passed away, he was in his garage working for the church. <laughs> he was putting together this little hose reel thing, and I think he almost got it done uh, uh, before he... Uh, before he passed out. Um, but he was working for the Lord. He built this. <laughs> if you see one of these, it was because of Harold. And he would probably get mad at me if I, if I you know, talked about it like I'm doing right now. But again, he can't argue with me right now. <laughs> and so it's okay. But uh, um, what, a, what a great saint. And we have our own cloud of witnesses we read about the, the cloud of witnesses in, in Hebrews but we've got our own those saints that uh, you know that I don't you know some of the people that that you know that I don't even know that you would think about and, and people that I've already mentioned Harold and Kathy and, and now Jane we've got our own cloud of witnesses and this is the comfort that our own salvation is secure that we will persevere to the end of this life and into the next I was um, I was privileged to to interview Jane for for membership here four years ago, and um, I 
I have part of her application here of, of membership. And I, I've, I'm coming to, to think or believe that some of the best eulogies or obituaries are maybe written by the person themselves. And uh, for my dad, for example, he had done a lot of writing about his own life. And when, when I wrote his, uh, his eulogy, I basically just copied down what he had already written. And I had a lot of people saying, boy, that was one of the best eulogies I'd ever read. And it's like, or I'd ever heard. And well, my dad wrote it. <laughs> I put in an and and a therefore once in a while, but other than that, it was, it was, it was his words <laughs> uh, that, I was, uh, that I was reading. And I was very curious to, to uh, take a look at, uh, at Jane's, just to go back and look at her membership application. And so I, uh, and Steve had already pulled it. Steve was way ahead of me on this. And, and Steve had already pulled it out. And uh, so Steve sent, a, sent me a picture of what I wanted. And um, I just want to uh, share a couple things about uh, that Jane wrote regarding perseverance and security and, and faith. And uh, in her testimony about, um, uh, and by the way, she, uh, uh, she became a Christian in Tehachapi. And s- some of you are familiar with Tehachapi. <laughs> and and uh, up uh, in the uh, first Southern Baptist Church in Tehachapi back in around 1976 is when she came to know the Lord. And um, she... Uh, she wrote these things. She said, I, I came to, to the States in, in 1976 to a wonderful Christian family, went to church, and became hungry for God's word. The Spirit had quickened her, had, had made her alive, had given her this hunger for the word of God. And she, be, and she be, became a Christian. And, uh, and this, this is what is a comfort to us. I've been. She wrote this. I've been able to live my life in faith, not power of her own, but faith that God would preserve her, that God would keep her. And she wrote this. I've had some very sinful periods in my life. She was. She was not <laughs> oblivious to the fact that sin still is in us. And we all know that, don't we? We all know that. And this is a this is a powerful testimony. She was very aware of that. But she also wrote this. She said, first I knew it was I always knew that I was blowing it. I always knew it was wrong. And God led me back <laughs> every time. And I know this is where I belong is in him. She persevered. She knew that she was preserved. Even in those times that she blew it, the Lord led her back, and she kept the faith. She fought the good fight. And so what a great, what a great example that we have uh, in, our, in our sister Jane. And so I, um, I, I, I am very thankful for her testimony uh, that we have. <laughs> Um, for a long time now that we can read and, and be encouraged uh, that she had that saving faith. She had a persevering faith in which 
she testified, God led me back from sin. Now, I need to qu- I need to quit. <laughs> I need to quit at this point because I think like I said our emotions are are very fragile. And um but I do want to spend a little bit of time uh, now that we've we've uh, talked about this comfort that we can get from uh, our our God-given perseverance. But I want to talk a little bit about about history. And um in the mid-1500s, and we can go to the next slide now. In, in the mid-1500s, in Heidelberg, Germany, the church leaders were shocked at the poor spiritual teaching there in Germany, in that, in that area around Heidelberg. And a, um, a document was created called the Heidelberg Catechism. And a catechism is a teaching tool. It's a series of questions and answers. I think, I think the Heidelberg Catechism, if I'm remembering right, had 29. 29 questions and answers that, on different spiritual issues and different points of doctrine. And this was created to better educate the people, especially in the Reformed doctrines, because these, these were in the somewhat early ages of the, of the Reformation. Uh, 1517 was the, uh, the Wittenberg Door 95 Thesis and Luther, and here we are at 1563, a little bit before that. And um, the, the teaching wasn't as strong as they felt it should be, and so they came up with this catechism to help educate people. And question one of the 29 questions, what is thy only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I, I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me hardly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And again, looking back at Jane's testimony, you see that all over her testimony in that last sentence, that the assurance of the, by the Holy Spirit of eternal life, being heartily willing uh, to give her life to the Lord, to live for him. Uh, her testimony is all over that uh, as well. Um, now, a little bit more his history in terms of perseverance of the saints. And now I'm going to really dig into it big time. Uh, so those of you that hate the history part of lessons... My apologies, but not really because I like it. And remember, um, in this series that we're doing, those of us who are teaching, we've, we've said that we can do anything we want, and so this is what I want. <laughs> you have no choice to listen to this. <laughs> Thank you for being here. <laughs> and I'm not, I won't do as much history next week, so you can come back and be safe, Maybe. Well, so a little bit more uh, historical perspective. Maybe you've heard of the acronym TULIP. 
we kind of joked about this last week uh, when I introduced this. Uh, most of you might uh, not have any clue on where Tulip came from, and we'll go ahead and get that next slide. Yep, it's up there. Way to go. And uh, Tulip, it's an acronym uh, from what's, what have been terms the, the doctrines of grace, five doc- that's sometimes been called the five points of Calvinism. And looking at these five points, we have T for total depravity, that is, man is completely sinful. You, uh, unconditional election. We are elected to salvation upon no merit whatsoever of our own. There is nothing in us that could ever save us and merit salvation. L, limited atonement that Christ's sacrifice was for the elect. For the elect. I, irresistible grace. God's call to the elect is effectual. There will not be a negative response. There can't be. It's impossible for there to be a negative response if you're elect. Which leads, this kind of goes hand in glove with perseverance. And that is if you are a true believer, if you are elect, you cannot fall away. The call is effectual and you can't fall away from believing. And so that's, uh, uh, those are the five points of Calvinism. So if, if you're a five-point Calvinist, that's what you believe. If you're a one-and-a-half-point Calvinism, you believe one of those things and a little bit of another, you know, and so on. There's all sorts of degrees of Calvinism. And if you're a five-pointer, that's, that's it. Now, this is an acronym that's stuck, and there are other acronyms uh, besides that one. Uh, that go through these points, and there's nothing magical about that one. Uh, at best, it's just a kind of a, a help to help us remember those those doctrines, but there's nothing special going on here with the word tulip. It was actually first coined in 1905. It's, it's uh, just a little over 100 years old. It was uh, coined in a, in a lecture that was given uh, back in, the, in that time. And But the doctrines, of course, are biblical. Just because the acronym was used doesn't mean that these doctrines haven't been around since the Bible was written. And if you want to go back even further, they're God-given, and so they're, they've existed in eternity for all eternity, and not, not just, but definitely since the writing of the New, New Testament. Last week when I mentioned that uh, I would be teaching on perseverance, the P of tulip, Will's favorite one. <laughs> Steve joked that here at GBC we teach chrysanthemum, not tulip. Tulip only has five letters. Chrysanthemum has 13. Now, th- there's, there's probably a lot of truth to that, that, that we're, really, we're really chrysanthemums here more than tulips. The problem is cr- it, it's, it's going to be really difficult to make the proper... Uh, uh, acronym out of chrysanthemum. You know, what's C, what's H, what's, you know, it's, it's going to be, t- I tried it and I gave up really fast. I started to try to make something up. I said, this is not, this is, this is not worth it. <laughs> and figured I would never get there. And so I gave up on it. Uh, so it's not a good form of an acronym, but it does more accurately reflect the depth that we need to teach doctrine. It's more than five points, way more than five points. We need to teach the whole counsel of God through Scripture that goes way beyond what we call these doctrines of these five points of Calvinism or the doctrines of grace. There's many, many other things that we teach as well. This is just a segment. Uh, 
of, of, of the full counsel of God. So associating these five doctrines with, with Calvin is kind of misleading. Uh, Calvin, he did teach these points among all a lot of other points, all the other points that he wrote about, but he didn't, so he didn't limit his work to just these, these things. And you're not going to find a chapter, you're not going to go to the, uh, the Institutes of Christian Religion by John Calvin or of all his commentaries and, and, and find, you might look in the table of contents, okay, where's the chapter on my five points? The, the five points of, you're not going to find it. It's not there. You're going to have to read and read and read hundreds and maybe thousands of pages to pull it all together uh, from, uh, from Calvin. And uh, you're going to find uh, the, the church fathers before him were already teaching these things. Luther, Augustine, Paul, to name three. You can find all these, these, uh, these doctrines of grace, these five points. And so from the early church until today, Doctrines such as election and perseverance, uh, they have been points of controversy. When we say five points of Calvinism, if you're in, a, uh, in this crowd, you're probably pretty safe. But if you were to uh, go to another crowd and, and say, well, I'm a five-point Calvinist, you might, you might be sitting all by yourself for a while. <laughs> and nobody's going to talk to you very much. Or they might want to argue. It's, it's, it is a point of controversy even to, today. Uh, to be sure. But, um, and, and so there is this disagreement for thousands of years. Is our election a work of God alone? Or do we somehow contribute? Do we somehow contribute to our election? Can a true believer lose his salvation? Uh, are questions that are asked. And, and here at this church, we believe that our election is a work of God alone. And uh, uh, we that's the U of TULIP, unconditional election. Um, there's nothing that we can do to merit our salvation. We also hold, hold the perseverance, which we'll get into in detail next week, that if we are truly elect, we're not going to be unelected. If we truly are elect, there's no unelection, which is a great comfort to know that, to know that that's true. So, What's the why these five? Why did these five doctrines just kind of come to be and be attributed to, to Calvin? And, and what happened here? Why why do we have these? Well, they were born out of this controversy of of one side believing one thing and one saying, "No, I chose I chose to be saved," and somebody else saying, "No, you think you did, but it was God." that gave you the faith to allow you to believe. Yeah, but, but I... And so we have this, this dilemma, this controversy. Now, one of the first uh, personalities in this controversy was Pelagius. And Pelagius taught that salvation is man's choice. Strictly man's choice. That man is born in a neutral state, basically a sinless state, and chooses to sin or chooses not to sin. That man has the ability to say, okay, I'm going to sin or I'm not going to sin. Man has complete choice to either sin or not to sin. To Pelagius, grace was a gift, but it was the gift of free will. God gave man the gift of being able to choose. 
of total free will. That was Pelagius', that's kind of what he hung his hat on, was that grace was the gift of being able to choose. He also said the law of Moses was important, the teachings of Christ. He looked a lot uh, at the law. Um, to, To be honest with you, I think Pelagius' heart was in the right place because he was looking at the moral laxity of the time, and I think you could probably say that of any time where you see immorality, and he was concerned, why are so many people who say they're Christians, why are they living such an immoral, why are they living such an immoral life? Why are they living this way? If they, if they claim the name of Christ, what's going on here? And he was very concerned, and he was, some of the things that we talked about before, I think he had that concern with easy believism, that, well, if I say it, I'm okay. And I can live an immoral life, but I, but I said the right thing, so I'm okay because I said the right thing. And so he, had, he was grappling with this, and he finally came to this choice, this decision that, in his mind, that man has to choose then. You have to choose to be good, and you better be good. And you have a choice. He, uh, he blamed the moral laxity on an overemphasis of teaching a forgiveness of sin by grace. He said it was overemphasized. He blamed Augustine for a lot of this. And in in my next slide, uh, I think we have to go through, yeah, there we go. So this kind of sums up the, uh, these these two guys were contemporaries of each other uh, back in the 5th century AD. And Pelagius was very upset with this prayer that had been published by Augustine. This is just a part of the prayer. And this did not make Pelagius happy. Augustine prayed, O God, command what you wouldst and grant what thou dost command. Now, Pelagius had no problem with the first part of it. O God, command what thou wouldst. In other words, you're God. You, you can command And so he was okay with that. But the second part is what he uh, had a tough time with. Grant what thou dost command. In other words, God will grant you, grant a man, grant men in general, God will grant men the ability, and I want to make sure that I say this right, is that man's ability, because I was starting to say it backwards, man's ability to be able to follow God's command doesn't come from man. It comes from God. Second part, grant. In other words, you, God, you, God, do this. Grant what thou dost command. God, it comes from you. He's basically saying, God, grant this to us. Give us this power through through the power of God, not through human power. And Pelagius wrote, well, if God is just, righteous, and holy, and God commands of the creature to do something, certainly that creature must have the power and more ability, moral ability within himself to perform it. In other words, God's grace is that we have, the human, we have human power within ourselves to be able to follow the commands of God. We don't need the power of God God has given us a human power. 
and a will to be able to do, to do this. We can do this aside from the Lord. And so there was this great debate and, uh, uh, with, with, uh, uh, between Augustine and, and Pelagius. And go ahead and go to the next slide. And we'll just see some of the... the um, in the next slide, we'll look at Pelagian belief in general. And then we'll, we'll, we'll end right here. So Pelagius... Some of his beliefs, man is by nature good and has been given the grace of free will to choose to sin or not to sin. Man has the ability to fulfill God's commands by exercising freedom of the human will apart from God's grace. Well, we can look at scriptures such as Ephesians 2.3, which says, among whom we are all, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of body and the mind, and we're by nature children of wrath. Our nature is sinful, like the rest of mankind. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and, and in my sin did my mother conceive me. We are not by nature good, but Pelagius taught that, no, we're good. God made us good so that we would be able to follow his commands, follow the things that he commanded us. So God must have made us that way. So we have a lack of understanding of the tr- true nature of man. He denied original sin, uh, that we did not inherit our sin nature from Adam. Uh, Pelagius believed that Adam just hurt himself only when he sinned, that he was just hurting only himself, and that he's just a bad example for us, and that's it. That's as far as it goes. But Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned, because of Adam. But Pelagius denied that. And he said, A man can choose God by exercising their free will and rational thought. God's Grace is just an aid to help us choose. And we probably don't even need that. And of course, the counterpoint is none is righteous. None is able to do God's will apart from his grace that we read in Romans 3, verses 10 through 12. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so, clearly, Pelagius had some uh, ideas that were way off base, very heretical teaching that we still see today in in many churches. Um, But to think that that we can, and this is the, I I think that to to some degree, we're all Pelagians sometimes, in that we think that we can win our battle with sin on our own. In our own strength. Because that's what Pelagius is, that's what he was teaching. You can win the battle on your own. That was his point. Scripture says, if you believe that, you may not be elect. (laughs) Now, 
there's the, there's the rub. Do we sometimes become Pelagians in that we try to fight the battle on our own? Yes, we do. And that's where we, we, that's where we have to be completely honest with ourselves, as we read with Jane's testimony. Will I sin? Yes. Can I draw myself back? Nope. God does. Because he holds me in his hand firmly and does not let go. John 10. He will never let me go. Even though I sin. He will draw me back. As we read with Jane. She was drawn back. And we are drawn back. Not of ourselves. And that's the tough part. Because the human part of us wants to do it all, right? And especially if you, you know, depending on your personality, I can do this. And there's pride that gets in the way. And so many things get in the way. But it's, but it's, it's, it's of the Lord. And that's a tough lesson to learn. Uh, but we have a lot of examples in front of us, as we've talked about before. So Pelagius... Missed the boat on a lot of things. We're going to talk a little bit more, uh, wrap up. A, I didn't quite finish the history. Sorry about that. So, but it's, but it'll be short, the historical part. And we'll get into the nitty-gritty of, uh, of perseverance. I want to talk a little bit about Arminianism next week. I, I promised you I was going to do that earlier, and I didn't get to it. Um, but we'll talk about uh, Arminianism and the history of that, jo- uh, Joseph Arminianus. Okay, let's see who gets a prize. Who knows Jacob... Arminianus's real name. Who knows Jacob Arminianus, his, his real name? What do you think? Yep, his name was James Hermanson. <laughs> now I know I'm making fun of this guy, I'm sorry. I just thought it was funny when I read that. <laughs> James Hermison. A lot of the guys back then would Latinize their name. A lot of the names that we read that sound Latin, they weren't Latin. You know, they were English or Irish or something like that. But they would, you know, as they, as they especially as they rose in, in importance in their own mind, they would Latinize their name. And um, James Hermanson was one of them as he Latinized his name to, to Jacobus uh, Arminius. And that's his name in Latin. Yeah. Okay, so, so I've had my fun with Arminianus. We'll get serious next week uh, about that. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we've had together. We thank you for your scriptures, which comfort us with our faith, uh, knowing that Uh, our perseverance is in you. We persevere in the end because of your power, because of you living in our life, living in us. We thank you for the examples that we have, and in particular our our sister Jane, that uh, we look at her life and see how she persevered to the end, how she lived for you. We thank you for so many people who heard the gospel yesterday, a power, powerful presentation of the gospel. And we pray that, uh, that those who, uh, who 
don't know you as your Lord and Savior, that those who heard that message, that that message would be stinging in their hearts right now, that just as you gave Jane a hunger for your word and you brought her to life, that would occur in those that were here yesterday who need to be quickened by your Holy Spirit. And we pray for that. And again, thank you for our time today. And later on, as Steve preaches, we pray for, for him too as he gives us more comfort. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.